Thank you for inviting me. I'm Ken, I'm a composable overeater. Um, and I am grateful to be in San Francisco while sitting in Long Beach tonight. Um, and I'm grateful to be in recovery with you. I'm grateful to be in a meeting for an hour where I'm not eating and carrying the message. I, I want to start, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the steps and I'm really grateful I have a sponsor that took me through the steps this time to the big book. That's part of my story. I'll share it later. But I want to open with this because it just inspires me. Um, to no end. Practical experience shows that nothing so much ensures immunity from drinking or intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. So that just resonates in my heart, working with others. And so I view tonight as my opportunity to work with others to help carry the message. Um, I am so grateful to be here. Um, just to qualify in advance um, or at the beginning, um, physical recovery. So spoiler alert, I am a well over 120, 100 pound um, sufferer. Um, I lost that weight before coming into program. I came into this program as a retread. So my original weight loss was 126 pounds. I'm sorry, 132 pounds. Um, and I came back a, as a retread and I've given away uh, 28 pounds through this program. So 100 pounds is definitely a part of my story. Um, I am grateful to share that with you. I came into the rooms um, and this is probably a good place to start and then I'll go way back in the time machine as I qualify. So my abstinence date is April the 13th. How I got there, um, part of my story, I'll repeat it twice because I'm over 60 and I'm entitled to do that kind of shit. I can talk and say things over again. Um, April the 12th, I went to a 100-pounder down here in Orange County. Um, and I, a couple miracles happened that night. Uh, one of them was I met my first sponsor. But I'll just keep you hanging on the edge of your seat because that's part of what happened and what it's like, like now. So what was it like before? What was little Kenny like growing up? So I'm the middle of three boys. Um, my parents were Holocaust survivors, which brings its, um, both of them were Holocaust survivors, um, which brings its own set of eating issues to the party, along with everything else, all the other baggage. Um, and they were in a marriage that probably never should have happened. Uh, my uncle made the deal back in the 50s and in our culture, matches are made. You know, there's a very famous song from Fiddler on the Roof, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Okay, so my father was a lonely bachelor in LA. My mother was a single, available, young, hot redhead, and her father had a booming furniture business in LA. My uncle walked in one day, saw my mother, asked my grandfather who she was, and the rest is history. So actually, the marriage, um, my mother was part of a business deal actually, that my father had cut. He wanted a piece of the business. That was his mission. I'm not so sure, you know, I, I, I don't have that answer today. I wish they were both still alive so I get those answers. I would love to ask my father today if he ever loved my mother. And, you know, it kind of makes a difference today. I think, and from what I hear, and legend and folklore is, um, he wanted a piece of the furniture business. And so the rest was complimentary. And that played out in that I believe my older brother was wanted. I think they wanted a child. They may have wanted a child. Um, I and my younger brother, I'm the middle of three boys. 
Um, I am a sex as a weapon baby. My mother got pregnant to keep my father around. Um, the sad part of the story, and again, part of my story, when my mother was pregnant with my youngest, my younger brother, she hit her pregnancy because my father kept leaving, coming back, leaving, coming back. And finally, when he confronted her, he demanded that she have an abortion. He didn't want to have a third child. Well, little did they know that um, my mother was seven months long. It was 1964, I'll never forget the day. My aunt came from Germany. Um, my father's secretary took us away from the house, my older brother and I, um, because in 1964, these kinds of things were done in the basement, in the garage, but not in a doctor's office. So my younger brother was attempted to be taken and when they realized that my mother was seven months pregnant, she was rushed to the hospital. He was born later that afternoon. Um, I am grateful you know, I don't want to play a comparison. He suffers today with mild cerebral palsy as what I believe is a result of that. And so that kind of ties into the story because all the attention went to my younger brother. And I began my first set of lies. Great. What is one of our, our I want to say our, my, I don't know about you, I, I am a great liar as an addict. And I remember lying to my father at an early age about, um, not getting enough attention and being okay with it. And it really wasn't okay, but I was scared. My father was a scary man. On one hand, he loved us, but there were no parent manuals. I, I don't think that, I, I don't, you never asked a European man to go to, he, would, he never wanted to go to a therapy. And so through the rage that was in the house, the yelling that was in the house, I was a little bit terrified to say, I'm okay with the fact that you're spending time with my younger brother. I lied about it. And I found consolation in sugar. I realized that today as I've been working the steps and working this program that I was at my attraction, deep sexual attraction to sugar started at a very young age. I'll give you one primary example. There's a ceremony in a Jewish boy's life called a bar mitzvah. My older brother had his bar mitzvah. Now, I should have set this up by saying, I am not one of the gutter compulsive overeaters. I'm not bragging or boasting, but my father was in business, in the meat business, and he was very successful at it. I never suffered, I never wanted for anything. So I like to refer to myself as a compulsive overeater of the Beverly Hills kind. Food was plentiful, I never had to worry about it. There was always meat on the table, meat and potatoes and eat. And my grandparents would come on Sunday from LA from with baked goods from this German Jewish bakery that were just amazing, right? And that was like the highlight for me. So we had this bar mitzvah for my older brother. We never got to the cake, it went to the freezer and it was in lock and key in the basement of the house. Who do you think was the one that found the way to pick the lock after school every day and chipped away at that full sheet cake? There were 300 people at this party. It was a big ass cake, but that was me. And the best part about it, as an addict, I freaking lied about it and got everybody else, tried to blame them, wouldn't take ownership, and so began my career as a compulsive overeater. Um, part of my story, I, I wanna talk about what happened in a moment, but there are scenes that drugs to lose weight um, play an important role. At age eight, I was sent to a diet doctor with my mother. My mother drove my older brother and I to a diet clinic in Cerritos, California. If you know LA, it's not far from Long Beach, where I got a 500 calorie diet, a shot of HCG and diet pills. 
Um, I was the speediest fourth grader in the Long Beach Unified School District. I was taking diet pills at age eight. It played out again in high school. My pediatrician, if you were around in the 70s and 80s, you're familiar with these drug terms. Um, I got yellow jackets to lose weight and I got black beauties to lose weight. And I see the smiles and nods in the room, but I'll tell you the black beauties cost me. Um, they cost me big time. I was um, of epic proportion and taking black beauties. And my first job, I, I was too big. In 1978, you could still discriminate. Discrimination happened to fat people. Fat people couldn't get hired at Disneyland. Where I live, if you were really hot, meaning you were like a blonde surfer, there was a cookie place at the shopping mall that only hired people that looked like they just stepped off Surfer Monthly. That was out of the question. Tier two, Disneyland. Everyone was, the cool kids were getting jobs at Disneyland, but Disneyland didn't hire fat people. I got hired at Knott's Berry Farm. Knott's Berry Farm took me, I got the shirt out of wardrobe, but I had to go across the street to the um, Fat Man store at the Buena Park Mall to get size 48 hop sack jeans to complete my ensemble, which was just horrific, now that I think about it. In the 90 degree heat today, I'm reminded I wore this cowboy shirt that didn't breathe and a hat and a scarf and these jeans. Well. Um, I got Black Beauties that summer. It was the summer of high school before college. I was working odd hours at Knott's Berry Farm and taking Black Beauties, not sleeping, not eating. Um, by the end of the summer, I wore myself down um, to a case of mononucleosis and missed my first semester of college. I didn't really start Cal State till second semester. So fast forward again, um, I eventually, and. By the way, the recurring theme in my life is the WW program. I went there at age nine after the shots. Um, I actually lost the 132 on the WW and I was so successful, I was a poster boy. They hired me. I'm an ex-WW employee, so it's part of my story. Now, this is the part that's great. Think about your job. Would you keep your job if you had to weigh yourself every month, once a month in front of your supervisor? That was one of the job requirements if you work for the W, right? And so it plays into my story because I could never maintain a healthy body weight, never. That once a month, it was always the same suit, insanity check number one. Insanity check number two, prior to weigh-in, in those days, um, we were doing aerobics classes, step and high impact. If you can think back to the 90s, I did two aerobics classes and sat in the sauna for an hour to dehydrate myself to make sure that I was within five pounds of my goal weight and I wouldn't go on a disciplinary action program, which was what happens if you're overweight working for the W, right? So I quit and they gave me a gift of 10 pound relapse, my first relapse. Um, I relapsed up about halfway, dieted back down, quit smoking cigarettes and that began my second relapse that I'm currently working through today. Now, let's tie in OA. Um, OA, I went to my first OA meeting and God knows when at the Gay and Lesbian Center here in Long Beach. Um, it had to be at least 30 years ago, maybe more. God, I'm 60, it had to be at least 30 years ago. I sat in the room and I thought, you guys are gonna hand me a diet and I'm gonna go just like any other place and I'll go home, try it for a week, and uh, get some results, and I'll come back. And you talked about stuff that I could not relate to. You were talking about feelings and emotions, and I just I couldn't comprehend. 
I never went back. In the May of 2014, uh, so prior to May of 2014, my last foray that really kind of seals the deal of me being a classic compulsive overeater. I had a job with my current company. I'm with them 36 years. And from 2007 to 2014, I traveled every single week, living in hotels and being home on weekends. My weekends, my living in hotel was parlaying my $45 a day into as much food as I could possibly get, coming home on Friday night or Thursday night, grocery on Saturday, making sure I had all my binge foods in the house, and isolating, keeping myself away from people, places, and things, and any kind of emotional contact whatsoever. Now, you might think that's really weird because I'm kind of an out there kind of guy. I classify, classify myself, if I can only speak English, as a emotional, I, uh, I, I am a, I, I can emotionally distance myself from you, an emotional isolator. I will only let you in so far. If you try to dare across the moat of my castle, the gate will come up and you will fall into the Crocodile River. It just plain ain't happening. And so that was my life. Now, I'm with my current therapist well over, over 20 some odd years now. It took him 19 years of influence for me to um, wander through the doors of OA this time. And how did it happen? I got a 60-day note. I was broken emotionally. That 60-day note said, your current job's gone away, go find another job or you're out of here. Now mind you, I'm top performer, never a performance issue. I'm documented, I've got awards, I'm a superstar and all of a sudden, geography, I'm downsized. Well, I am devastated, broken emotionally. Now the hotel stuff, that seven years, plays out in stuffing myself emotionally, spiritually with food. I don't know what got me to the room that night um, prior, sorry, prior to that, I had been at uh, the gay festival, gay pride in Long Beach in May. A man totally turned me off to the program. And then I wound up in uh, OA meeting in uh, July, completely broken emotionally and spiritually. I sat and I listened, I took that newcomer pack. I took, and it was not a pamphlet, it was a pack back then. And I said, I'm gonna read every one of these brochures cover to cover because when I'm gonna commit, I'm gonna do it 100%. I couldn't understand what you were talking about, but I was determined to keep coming back. And I kept coming back and kept coming back. I didn't get a sponsor immediately. An old timer kicked my ass and said, Ken, if you're going to be successful, you better get a sponsor to work the steps. So I hired one, someone who had who I thought what I wanted. She was Jewish, check. She was funny, check. And she worked for Weight Watchers, check. Perfect hit. Now, I'm a single winner. This is my only, that I'm aware of or that I've admitted to, my only um, addiction. My only frame of reference was Nurse Jackie and Nurse Jackie had a sponsor that was her bitch. Her sponsor picked her up, took her to meetings, called her, followed her. I thought, this is great. And none of that happened. My first sponsor fired me. And I wound up, dev not devastated, but I didn't have a sponsor. And then now we get to that April, around April the 12th to 100 pounder meeting. Here's what was miraculous and how God was in the room that night. The speaker was a man who tried to date me 30 years ago. 
at the Gay and Lesbian Synagogue in Los Angeles. I hadn't really seen him since. He's the speaker. This man, that's miracle number one. He lives in the San Fernando Valley. I live in Long Beach. Here we are in Orange County in this room. And he's leaving California in a week. Reunion. Miracle number two, I meet a man who I connect with and he's a hundred pound loser. I asked him to be my sponsor. And the next day, April the 13th, I became abstinent and haven't looked back. So April the 13th, 2015, haven't looked back. The sub-miracle within that miracle is March the 1st of 2017, I walked away from the accession of recreational sugar, no cookies, cakes, pie, candy, syrup, whatever. I'm in no danger of drinking a bottle of ketchup or teriyaki sauce, that stuff's in the house. But if you can dessert with it, it doesn't come into my house. And the freaking miracle of God, because I said, this is God doing something for me that I, not what I couldn't do for myself, I wouldn't do for myself. I was a freaking sugar addict. Gone. Obsession, gone. Haven't looked back. Friday night a week ago, Rosh Hashanah, the desserts were at the table, three of them sitting in front of me. We could have been talking politics. We could have been talking the environmental change. I could have cared less. That to me is a, a miracle of God. So today, what is my life like? Um, I sponsor, my sponsee, one of my sponsees is here tonight with us. Boom. I work with a sponsor. Boom. He's here tonight. I go to at least three, if not four meetings a week. Um, I use the telephone. I pray every single day. I have a prayer book and a yarmulke by my bedside. That wouldn't happen without this program, okay? I keep a kosher home because of this program. I'm the first of my siblings to keep a kosher home, which is different from my other cousins. They're all orthodox religious people. It's a gift of this program. Um, so, and I am of service. I'm of service. I usually have a service commitment in every meeting that I go to. And they asked me to take the chair of the intergroup. I chair the intergroup down here in at South Bay, which is basically the Long Beach South Bay area. And you know what? You're going, oh, wow. Well, it's no different than showing up being the treasurer. It's no different than being a secretary. It is being of service. I have 36 years with a small company called AT&T as a manager. Why can't I use my leadership skills to help people in recovery? When it says right here in the big book, carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no other else can. Why can't I use my skills to do that? So it's a perfect match for me. So meetings, sponsorship, writing, eh, writing a little bit, probably my weakest link. I, I work in, okay, I, I don't want to judge myself. I work a program that works for me. I am grateful for all of you. Um, if it weren't for this program, I don't know where I'd be in COVID and COVID is a gift to me. I have learned a new spirituality. I've learned a new way. This year I turned 60 and I had really big ass plans. I got to see Oprah, check. That was February. March, I had nothing planned. I had tickets to see Gaga, tickets to see Hugh Jackman on Broadway, um, tickets to go to Disney World. God had a different plan, and if God has a sense of humor, he is super funny because all of our plans got twisted. Last night, 
or the day before yesterday in synagogue, Rabbi said from the pulpit, if you would have told me last Yom Kippur that we would be like this, I never would have believed you. And I'm sure we all have our own stories. I couldn't be more grateful for this turn of events because it really is teaching me a different way of life. I don't need as much. I'm not wanting for much. Kind of hard being single. So this is a lot to me. These Zoom meetings, I was in a meeting in Long Beach with a speaker from Rosedale who had just spoken Wisconsin. And then I had to dash off to go to San Francisco, all without leaving my living room. We're doing these amazing workshops where people from all over the world are coming. What could be more grand than to be in recovery for people all over the world? So my time is off, uh, almost up. I'm gonna wrap by here, closing with this other piece from chapter seven. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence where others fail. Remember, they are very ill. I am amongst the ill. I am in recovery, I am not recovered. But what I've learned in this program is I am powerless over food. I am powerless, but I am not helpless and I am not hopeless. Thank you for letting me share.